I'm ready to go this morning. Um, I'm about three Red Bulls in. I left Cincinnati this morning uh, for my daughter's soccer tournament, trying to be a good dad and a good pastor. And so uh, I'm ready to go if you want to turn to 1 Timothy. Um, I, I spent a lot of time in the car, about four hours this morning, praying about how to interact, as I've already studied for our text today, but how to interact with it with you all, how to open how to, how to engage with you, because seemingly, you may read the passage when we read it and be like, this is going to be an interesting Sunday. And it will be. It's going to be fun. Uh, not necessarily for me, but for you, probably more. Um, it was amazing last week as I was out of town, our elder, Preston Zale, shared from God's word, and I'm thankful for having good elders in our church that are able to teach and preach and come alongside uh, Elders that are on staff, like myself, and um, watched the service, did a great job, amazing job. I'm thankful for our elders we have at church, and we're going to speak to some of that even uh, today. And uh, we've been in First Timothy for the last number of weeks, um, since the beginning of the year, diving in to see the Apostle Paul writing to his son in the faith, quite literally what he says in the beginning, his child in the faith, to instruct Timothy in Ephesus how he is to pastor and shepherd his church. And so it has great relevance for us as a church. And so we called the series Church, Why Bother? As there's a sentiment even within a lot of people in the United States today that, man, what is church really about? And why should I be a part of it? And why bother? Is it really necessity for me to be present? Or should I just watch online? Or whatever it might be. And we want to dive into, what, or we have been diving into, what the Apostle Paul has been sharing with Timothy to say, Timothy, this is not only how you are to function as an elder or pastor, overseer in the church, but also this is how the church should function. I mean, it's been fun and it's been interesting. I've had some great conversations with, with, with individuals in the church about, man, what did that mean and what does that actually look like? And it's been great. And today will be no different as today will be, I will say, just a little bit more of a teaching you're not going to, I don't say, on any other Sunday, I want to inspire you to leave this place and flip the world upside down for Jesus. Like, that's, that's my, my job, is to not just teach you things about the Bible, but show you what it looks like and inspire you to live in light of that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Today will be that, but it's going to be a little bit more of teaching as, as we're going through the text. I don't know, if we, if we just went through the Bible and we just skipped over sections, because like, man, that's for us as pastors... Um, I, I want you to know what it looks like and what we should be doing as a church in totality. And so today, it's a funny message because I'm really preaching to myself. And all of you get to preach back at me. It's going to be great. And it's really dealing with, at, 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 in all forms of kind of elders in the church and how we might respond to them and, 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 and their leadership in the church as a whole. And man, I was just... And God, what do you, how do you want me to, to do this, and what does that look like? And um, this last January 9th, I believe, was my 15th year anniversary of being at Woodside Bible Church. And it's, it's amazing to think back, and like, and it seems like it was yesterday. 15 years is a long time. Um, and just thinking about, man, what has God done in the church in the last 15 years has been quite remarkable, just in this place uh, from, from many years ago, starting in Walden Middle School. And as I began to think about that, even in January, I've just had the sentiment within my own soul is, man, I'm just really thankful to be a pastor at this church. 
I'm really thankful, not just as Woodside Church, I, I'm just really thankful to be a pastor at this church in Lake Orion. And I'm so thankful to be um, able to interact and lead so many people here that are so easy to lead and relationships that I have and the way that God's blessed me. Someone texted me the other day and they're like, when it was my 15th anniversary, they're like, man, I'm not sure why Woodside allowed you to lead when they did. And I was like, I, I don't know what that means, but I agree wholeheartedly, you know. And I, and I just want to start off before we open the passage and just say that it's an honor to be in this place. It's an honor to be a pastor at this church, and I take it very seriously, and it's a really big deal to me to be able to be the pastor, the overseer of this place, a place where God called me in middle school at a retreat, much like our young people are today, to go into the ministry, and I didn't want anything to do with it. I ran the other direction, but here I stand by the grace of God, somehow in all of it, to be a pastor in this place. And I take it really seriously. Something our previous senior pastor used to always say, and I think it's quite relevant for what we're talking about today, is that they, he used to say this all the time to me, they aren't here because of you, you're here because of them. That you aren't here because I'm the pastor, you aren't here for me, I'm here for you. And the calling that God has placed me in as a, a pastor is to come alongside of you and love you well, shepherd you from the time I have you, maybe ultimately to the time you meet Jesus face to face. And I see it as a very high calling and one that should be taken quite seriously. And today, like I said, is going to be a fun message as we dive into looking at us as pastors and how the church interacts with them as a whole, and I'm looking forward to it. And, and I'm going to call you to pray at the end, because I think it's maybe the greatest way we can respond to today's um, message. Even pray, uh, man, we take it very seriously. My brother John left uh, our campus here just a short bit ago, is now pastoring the Lapeer campus, and we are now in that place of replacing him, and we're not moving quickly because we see it's such a, a serious thing, man. We want to pray over, and we're the spirit of godly, so pray for that as we're looking for someone to, to replace him in our campus here, because it's not just about what we think. It's about the church as a whole. We want you to be a part of that process. One of the major parts that we underestimate is the power of prayer, right? That God wants the individual, and, and we, or excuse me, we want the individual. God already has them. We want God to lead in the process. And so we're going to be uh, continuing on in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. And we've been looking at how the Apostle Paul is instructing Timothy to not only lead the church, but he himself how to function himself and really when you read the passage or you read all of first timothy really it's saying that timothy if you follow these instructions timothy man if the pastor of the church would would, would follow these instructions they're going to lead well in a manner that glorifies god and so that's what i want you to see in a nutshell today is that godly pastors are a gift to the church not pastors are a gift to the church, but godly ones that are leading in accordance with the word of God and all that God lays out for them. And that's not always like the fun side. That's sometimes the overwhelming side or the side where you have to get into people's lives that isn't always fun. But, but godly men and women that are involved in the church, that are helping lead out the church, are, are a blessing to the church. And the, the opposite is true as well. Godly people, the congregation is a blessing to the church. And so I, I just want to walk through this passage with us today and, and, and see three responses that the church family should have towards pastors. 
the pastor of the church. And so, again, that's why I say, if for you today, we're going we're gonna to be really, man, this is what a pastor should look like. This is how it should function. This is how the church should interact. And I want you to interact with me as we walk through it in the next couple of minutes. So let, let's look in verse uh, 17 together as the first one is the funnest one. Look at verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. I just want to stop there and say amen, you know. Um, no, I'm playing. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. And so, so I said this is going to be fun. The first point from our text is we support our pastors financially. And so a lot of people, I'll just get right into it now, this is good for us because a lot of people don't even know, like, why do we do church the way we do? And why do we have staff members on church? And why do we do certain things? And that's why I say it'd be easy for us to just skip over this, but I want to interact with you because it's not just about, like, man, here's the fun ones that talk about, man, you can do your best today, and this is what God's calling you. But some of it is just for us to know why we live the way we do and why the church should function as it does. And so last week, we talked about how the church was a family and we care for one another and talking about widows in the church and caring for each other and we treat each other as family and we love each other like family and we care for those in need. And, and, and the Apostle Paul is continuing in that. There's no break. If you look in the text, I don't know if you know this or not, but the chapters and verses in the Bible weren't there originally. There, there's a group of people in history that place them there. We keep them there. They're not bad. But Paul continues right in that same vein together in this, this thought. It's not a new thought. Paul stills teaching on instructions and how we are to interact as a church family. And he says, Timothy, I want you to know this is what it looks like. And actually, much of the Apostle Paul's ministry was focused on the reality of a lack of leadership within the early church. And say, man, this is how we should function, and this is what it looks like. You could look at Acts 11 and Acts 14, and, and, and he uses the word here, elder, and it's, he says elders, plural, and it's not being used to describe someone who's older than you. I said this a couple weeks ago. A lot of people are like, man, how can that person be an, an elder? They're pretty young. There's an idea of older, senior, like in life, they've, they've made it a long life that they have enough wisdom and knowledge. But just before this, not too pre far previously, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth as the elder overseer in the church. And so here he's saying, man, when he talks about elders, he's just talking about those who specifically oversee the church, that are leading the church in that time. And he's focusing on this whole idea of oversight. And there's a list, I don't know if you've recognized, if you're reading 1 Timothy, if you're going over it in your small group together, there's kind of a list, there's a, there's a lot of things that the overseer, the elder, the pastor is to do in the church, right? There's pastoral care, you know, we talked about this last week, in chapter 3 and 4, there's the importance of really management, it's not my favorite thing as being a pastor, it's not really what I'm good at. There's a task of protecting doctrine and right teaching against false teaching and teaching properly because you know what? Especially, I would say even more than now, more than then, they would just, they're, they're, he's writing in response to false teaching, but I'll tell you, there's no way for me today to protect you from false teaching, all of it. The only way I can protect you from false teaching is teaching properly so that you will know the word of God well enough that you'll be able to see it for yourself because unfortunately they didn't have the internet we do, and you can watch anybody 
any place and think, man, that sounds pretty good. God wants me healthy and wealthy. Or whatever it might be. And part of the role is just protecting from proper doctrine. And, you know, a number of people, they read this verse and think, man, this refers to a couple different groups when he says, man, uh, let the elders who rule well be considered of worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And, and some people see this as like this dichotomy or two different groups of people. There's elders that kind of manage the church, which might be the case, and then others that are preaching and teaching in the church. But I don't think that's really the idea here at the at the generally, I believe he's talking about just the role and task of pastors that they would be, be honored in this way. He says that really what he's getting to is that there needs to be solid leadership within the church in order for the church to be healthy and flourishing. I don't know what your church experience has been like for your whole life. But if you've ever been a part of a church, and I don't want you, we'll get there eventually, to dig on your previous church... Because eventually you might not be here and you'll be digging on us. But I don't know what your church experience has been like your whole life. But I've seen a number of churches in my day. With a lack of leadership, the church does not flourish. With a lack of, of leadership, and that's not just like, man, they got it all together. That's not the case. Most all don't have it together. It's leadership in the way that God calls us to be according to the word of God. And when there's proper leadership, it truly is a gift to the church. Not because of the individual, but because they're following the ways of Jesus. And so there needs to be proper leadership for the church to flourish, for widows to be cared for, as we've already seen, for proper teaching and, and preaching and understanding of doctrine. And Paul uses this, this phrase, double honor. Now, it's interesting, we'll get to that in a moment, what he's talking about, but when, when you ever have, or maybe you're, you're a professor or you've taught before, and you go do a teaching engagement, what are you often given at that engagement? What's it called? Anybody know? You could talk in church if you're new. It's called an honorarium, right? Oftentimes if I do a wedding, people give me an honorarium. Or you do a funeral. Or if you were a guest teacher somewhere. Or, man, I go preach at another church. Sometimes, not always, it doesn't have to be, but they would give you, and it's called an honorarium. And so the idea that the Apostle Paul is getting there is this. It's really money for services rendered, really, at the end of the day. And so he says here, I mean, pastors, this is why pastors within the church, he's going to use an illustration in the moment, this is why pastors are receiving their financial support within the church. Double, um, what does it mean to what it says, double honor? Well, there's a lot of people that would think a number of different things. Does that mean that really um, we should pay pastors double what they got the year before? I agree with that, yes. Um, <laughs> is it that we should pay pastors double what the church down the road does? Again, I'm in agreement. <laughs> should we pay them double of what the medium household income is in this, this area? Again, I'm, I'm totally on board if that's where the church goes. But no, that's not what the Bible's saying. Most likely what he's talking about is there were other offices within the church that would receive financial support, such as those overseeing the widows and some deacons and some others. And he's saying this position should receive double honor. It's not even really about pay. It's more about the position that we hold towards them, the respect that we give them, or really in their leadership if there's proper leadership there. And he illustrates this by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4, and so an ox, when it worked, he says, 
in our text, he says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. And he's using this illustration from Deuteronomy chapter 25 because here's the deal. An ox, when it was working on the threshing floor, um, were allowed to eat from any field where they were working. You see the idea that he's getting at here. He uses the same thing in a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 9 to point out that workers should be allowed to, to get material support from the community. And, and what he's just saying is to muzzle an ox would be to keep them from eating or being physically provided for from the work that they were doing. And he's just making a point that pastors receive their financial support from the church. That's all he's saying. And you shouldn't muzzle the ox. Now, he, here's... Here's kind of a, a silly illustration of what that looks like. I don't know if you've ever worked at a restaurant. I haven't. I was a waiter in college for one day, and that's all that lasted. Um, I went in, and I went behind the, the curtain and saw what the kitchen looked like and where things were. I'm like, if I work here, I'll never eat out again. So I found a new job. Couldn't do it. Um, but I know people that work in the food industry, and often part of the, 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 the reward of that is during their shift, they often can't eat at the restaurant. And it's a, it's a silly illustration, but it's kind of what he's getting at, is that, man, the person working there should receive from the place that they're working. And that's all the Apostle Paul is saying. He's not saying, or, or nor would I be saying, or any other person interpreting this passage per, per correctly would say, man, we deserve to be paid. It's just the way that God's laying out through the Apostle Paul to Timothy, the way that it should function properly so that we can move forward as the kingdom of God. I mean, can I just acknowledge something for, for a moment? This is really weird for me. It's, but it's here in the Bible, and we have to walk through it. I'm the pastor in the passage. So, man, these are the fun ones where you're like, man, being a pastor is the most amazing thing in the world. Not always. And it's just for me walking through the text and let the Spirit of God do what he does because the reality is the church is at its best and the family of God is at its best when we are faithfully living our lives in accordance with the Word of God. And if this is where the Word of God is leading, then this is where we should walk. And our church already functions this way, so I'm not really preaching. It's help, helpful for us to understand where does that come from? Why do we function the way we do? Well, here it is in the Word of God. And it implies some things. It implies the generosity of God's people. And by God's people, I'm holding up a mirror to myself because I'm part of this family. That implies my generosity to this place. That implies our generosity to this place. Not just for me, but for us as a church to move forward functionally, for impacting people around the world, impacting Lake Orion and every suburb we have a campus and how we push forward the kingdom of God and how God's called us and campuses in Michigan State and Ann Arbor that this coming year... It it's, it's implies that we follow the Lord and obedience, and myself is included in that. And my, my point here is just to pause again in this moment and say, I just want to say thank you. It, it's, a, it's a privilege for me to be able to take care of my family because of the generosity of people you look at every single week. Like if you go to work and, and you work a, a different job, Oftentimes, it's not just because of people's generosity. It's because you're working, and I'm doing the same, but it's just different, and I just want to say I'm honored and privileged to do that as God has called me to and for your generosity in this place. Well, another way that we interact with our pastors, look at verse 19. It says, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Verse 20. 
But those elders who are sinning, you are reproved before everyone so that the others may take warning. The second thing we see is how we interact with them is we respect our pastors. Paul has just given this instruction of how to care for pastors and serve them well and provide for them. And now he's giving Timothy specific instructions on what happens when the reverse is true. Did you see that in the text? He's saying, man, the practice of bringing two witnesses or three witnesses here instructed in verse 19 isn't some new thing. It's that the Apostle Paul isn't just giving special treatment for elders that, man, don't make any accusation against any elder in your church unless you have two or three people. I just want to make up this new rule to protect pastors and the hierarchy of the church because you know what? They're above everybody else and you can't talk to them about something they did wrong. No, actually, the Apostle Paul is actually pointing back to something that has been normative within the Jewish culture. It goes all the way back really to Deuteronomy chapter 19, where Moses in the law stipulated that the testimony of two or three witnesses need to be necessity to establish a matter. Furthermore, it's the same thing that Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 18. When we confront someone, go to your brother. Man, if he, if he receives you well, if he doesn't, great, bring another brother. If he doesn't respond, what do you say? He says, bring it to the elders. And if he doesn't respond with the elders, what is the last point? He says, bring it before the church. What's the flip side of the positivity of that verse? He says, man, only, make a, only allow a matter to be recognized with two or three, but on the other side, have no part of those who are in sin and actually bring them before the church. The fear would fall on others in response. You know, last week we were talking about caring for widows. It's interesting. There was a many different accusations, actually, in the New, Testament, or the New Testament church. The early church was growing. It was thriving. If you want to read uh, Acts chapter 7 specifically. And uh, widows were being taken care of properly. But then there was Hellenistic Jews, Greek Jews, who had, had come into the faith, or Greek individuals had come into the faith, that stated that their widows were being overlooked by the Hebrew, Hebraic Jews that we're actually not caring for the Hellenistic Jews. And there's this accusation, which is where we get the start of deacons in the church to care for the widows. And there was accusations. And so the Apostle Paul, probably in light of some of this stuff, was saying, man, they, there's been accusations of favoritism, which probably some of it was true. But, it, but what I want to show you here is that when these things happen, it's not just a he said, she said, bring it before the church in, in a proper manner with two to three witnesses. And, and then... He's never saying, he's not assuming that it's not true. He's actually going to the other side of it. He's saying, these are clear instructions on how to actually handle a pastor or an elder when they're living in sin. What does he say? But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. Take warning is a pretty strong phrase. It translates in the Greek, have fear. He says, man, if an elder is in sin, bring a couple people. And then, man, have no place with them. And if they don't want to repent of the sins, bring them for the church that actually fear would fall on the other elders and actually would be a response for them to live in light of the calling that God has given them on their lives. It's not a protection of hierarchy. It's actually quite the opposite. It's that all of us, me included, you included, would live in light of our calling and there would be a mutual familial 
interaction with all of us because Matthew 18 sets up how I'm supposed to interact with you and we're supposed to interact with one another. 1 Timothy 5 is dealing how you can bring things to me. And I've said it a number of weeks. I'll just throw it out there again. Man, if I ever am in a place where you need to have a conversation with me, I have an open door, a cell phone, an email. I am not above that. I would love to have a conversation with you. Because that's what, that's what part of the family is. I'm not above that. Pastor Chris Brooks, our senior pastor, is not above that. All of this in this room are broken sinners, of which I am pretty high up on the list. And I will have my own brokenness as any other pastor. So if this is just a visiting week for you, your home church, your, your pastor is not above the law. Your pastor is called to walk in newness of life just like you are called to walk in newness of life. And that is a family thing. And man, if there is something that you need to have a conversation with and your pastor doesn't respond well to that, that is a, a, a error in character. That I am always open to the conversation of any individual that calls himself a follower of Jesus. Because here's the thing. Respect is what I said, is that the church, we should respect our pastors. Now, that doesn't mean anything more than it means. You see, respect is not something I think that is just, man, uh, man it's just there. It, it's really earned in a lot of ways, and part of the way that it's earned is through accountability. Accountability. That there's a respect that is given mutually between the people of God as we are accountable one to another. I'll tell you, part of the reason why most people don't want to dive deep into the church, they, they're like, man, I like coming in during the first song, and I like leaving during the last song, and I don't really want to interact with anybody, is because of that word, accountability. You want to know why so many people don't love to be a part of a member of the church? It's because, man, I'm just signing up, and I don't want to be accountable to that pastor we talked about the first week, is that there's an idea that, that in Hebrews it talks about submitting under the authority of our pastor, and the pastor having a, a literal responsibility before God for those souls, and so there's this mutual respect and submission given, and that's what it means to be a part of the church. It's not that you respect me because I'm the pastor. No, that's not it at all. I respect you as the follower of Jesus. You respect me as the follower of Jesus, and there's a mutual submission one with another as we walk through day to day as a family moving forward, and I actually think there might be a higher press on me here than you, yeah, you should respect the pastor. That's great. But I'm supposed to walk in accordance to the ways of Jesus as you are, that we might walk together as the family of God. Amen. I have two hopes as a pastor. When you're speaking of this, this is my hope. My hope is that we never see a pastor, a brother in Christ, fall into sin that brings him out of ministry. I don't know about you. I'm pretty tired of seeing pastors, well-known pastors and unknown pastors being pulled out of ministry because of their brokenness and their failures. I'll bet you there's a bunch of them that could have been saved if an individual in the church had the gumption to sit down with their pastor and call out what they saw. And I'm all, I'm all for it. I'm tired of seeing friends of mine fail in ministry because of a lack of accountability. I'm tired of seeing Brothers in Christ in this church and outside fail because of a lack of accountability. And this is, this is what it looks like to be a part of the church. My hope is that I don't see any more brothers fall in ministry because of a lack of accountability. 
and, and man, my heart is that I have another hope that we wouldn't have as the church a posture of pride and gossip. It's really easy to fall into that. It happens quickly in our culture, right? When we have we see elders or pastors or anyone else really going through a public announcement of sin, it's easy to say, man, well, well I, know, I, I knew something wasn't right with that individual. Well, if you did, why didn't you have a conversation with them? I had a, I had a brother in Christ, and this church called me up two weeks ago and said, hey, man, this is kind of hard for me to call you. I want to have a conversation with you. It was awesome. We had breakfast last week. Love it. Right? Hey, do you know what I heard? Hey, do you know what I think? No person in this room, including myself, is above this conversation. No one in this room is above falling into temptation and sins. And it should drive you and it should drive me to our knees to pray one for another. That you would pray for me as the leader of the church and I would be praying for you and we would be praying for one another. And I'll just, I'll just be honest with you. Disagreements don't, don't mean sin. We might disagree on something. That doesn't mean I'm in sin. That doesn't mean you're in sin, right? And honor and respect of the pastor travels with you when you go to the next church. I can't say this loud enough, right? You might have gone to a church up the road and you come to this church and be like, man, I just want to tell you this, this, this. is." But honor and respect carries with you. I'm not actually the individual in 1 Timothy and neither is the pastor up the road and both are called to be given honor and respect just like you are. And just because we don't attend that church anymore doesn't mean you come to the next church and bash that church or bash that pastor. You know what? Because we're on the same team working towards if there are gospel-preaching, Christ-centered church, we're all reaching the same goal to win the lost and bring people into the kingdom of God for the, the honor and glory of God. Amen? And so th that, that should be our heart and our posture. And we shouldn't celebrate when other church leaders fall. We should be deeply wounded that we want to see the kingdom of God move forward. And then lastly, man, how we should respond. We select our pastors wisely. Again, this is teachable for us to know as we move forward. Look what it says in verse 21. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without a partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty to lay not, to the laying on of, in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure, he's saying to Timothy. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because your stomach and your frequent illness. Now, if that's your life verse, um, <laughs> if I see that tattooed on someone's arm, that'll preach right there. Uh, verse 24, the sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them, the sins of others trail behind them. In the same, uh, in the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those are not obvious, cannot remain hidden forever. So he says, man, we should select our pastors wisely, our elders wisely. Here in conclusion of the text, Paul starts with using this strong language, I charge you. That's a big deal. He's saying to Timothy, man, I charge you. He's only used this verb a couple other times in all of the New Testament. And he's giving some pretty weighty instructions um, of what he's about to say. And he says, man, for a pastor to lead well, 
He, he can't be someone. His judgment has to be um, imperial. He can't be showing favoritism. He has to battle against that. And he's saying, man, our decisions are to made, uh, if our decisions are made in that way with favoritism or showing partiality, he says, man, it leads to a, a bad place and will result in not a healthy church. And I'll just be honest with you, this is not easy always as a pastor. That's why he's speaking to it. And you have, you have people in the church that you're closer to and your friends, and there's always people that want to, right? There, there's going to be people for not bad ways always, in different ways. Man, if, they, if they're an influential individual in the church, they want to do certain things a certain way, and you might not, man, that's not how the church is going. And there's a lot of pastors that surround them people with, in the church, and I don't think it's good always that, men. these are the people that have the most influence. These are the people that have the most money. And they're going to drive the way the church goes. That's not what should be happening. And the Apostle Paul is preaching to Timothy through this letter to him that that's not the way that it should be. There shouldn't be any favoritism. And you go down that road, it changes what I say from the, from the pulpit and how I preach. It changes the way that I lead. It changes the way that, that we function as a church. And he's saying that's not the way it should be. There shouldn't be any favoritism. There should be no real changing the way that we do things because of that. He says, man, don't be hasty of laying on hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. I'm sure Timothy's wrestling with that. He's going through a lot of stuff. He's got tons of stuff going on. It'd be easy for him to be like, man, this guy wants to do this and he has a bunch of money in Ephesus and we should probably do that and whatever rather than, man, this is what God has called us to do and this is the way that we're supposed to lead. And he's saying lead with integrity. And the apostle Paul's kind of shifted from leadership health, and now narrowing into focusing on the health of Timothy specifically, and he's speaking to him as a leader, and I don't know, you probably don't know, but I, I know a little bit of what the stress of ministry as a pastor would look like, and I'm sure Timothy is going through that, right? He's trying to care for the widows and those that are in need. He's trying to deal with infighting. He has false teachers. He has, you know, turnover of leadership. And the stress can actually wreak havoc on the body. And most believe that Timothy is having some sort of stomach issue. And Paul's saying, hey, stop just drinking water and take a little wine. Your stomach, I'm sure you're going through it. You're overwhelmed by the leadership that you're, you're dealing with there. And he's saying, man, I, I want to focus on you as a leader. You know, take care of yourself. And it's interesting, um, when you look into it, drinking wine in small amounts, can't stress that, small amounts, uh, um, was a, a standard medical practice of their day to help with stomach issues. And so the Apostle Paul is just saying this, be cautious when it comes to selecting the leadership of the church. And Woodside, we have a pretty involved process where the leadership of a campus, myself, we would put someone forward, then they go through a vetting process, then on, on, in May we have our annual meeting where people, are, their names are actually put on the doors of the church as you come in and out, so if you have something that you know about them, why they shouldn't be an elder, you can come talk to myself or Alex, and then we go down to the Troy campus, all gather together, we vote on them, and it's a big deal for us. We don't, we don't go through it quickly. When we have a campus pastor absent, sometimes it took the Royal Oak campus just recently almost over a year because it's a really big deal for us. We don't want to just put someone in there for no reason. We don't want to lay on hands too quickly because we want to make sure that God's in it and he's leading us. Pastor Doug, before I left our church as a senior pastor, for, 20, or for five years he began to pray with a group of people and read books and ask God where he was leading and the process of that was Pastor Chris Brooks that we have now. And I think it benefited because it's no small thing that God has laid before us. And this is what he's getting at. He's saying, man, don't make quick decisions. Don't allow other influences to influence your decision. No, be wise, be pure. 
And so he's saying, man, we continue to pray for one another. I can't charge you enough. Pray for wisdom for your pastors, for your church staff. You may not see Chris Brooks very often, our senior pastor, but I'll tell you, he needs your prayer. He has a lot on his shoulders. Pray for unity. Pray for accountability. Pray for the leaders of different ministries. Pray for each other. It's a big deal. Because you know what? I'm not the ultimate example. I'll tell you that. I know that already. I'm not the ultimate example of what it means to be a pastor. But I know one who is. Right? I'm a pastor that's an under-shepherd to the the real shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, right? John chapter 10 and verse 11 says this. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He says the hired hand in verse 12 is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolves attack and flocks, attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man who runs away because he has hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be a flock, one flock and one shepherd. And the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down uh, of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. And I'll just be honest with you. Jesus is the good shepherd. I am not. I'm like anyone else. Every pastor you've ever known is like anyone else. I have liabilities. I tend to work too much. I'm stressed out sometimes. I have sin and brokenness in my life. I will fail. But the great thing about leading is that we look to one who will never fail. And the thing that binds us together is the one who is the good shepherd, who lays his life down for the sheep, right? He says the hired hand, they have no inheritance. The sheep aren't theirs. Man, when, when, when a wolf or a lion comes, they take off sprinting and running because they're like, they're not paying me enough money to lay down my life. But Jesus says, this is my flock. This is my inheritance. And we are the inheritance of Christ. And he lays his life down for us. And he never fails us. He always leads perfectly. And he will always be there. That is not me. I am not Jesus. And no pastor or church leader you know is. We're failed and broken. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus never will. And that's who we strive for. That's who we long for. That's who we look after as we, as a church, function together. And so I thought today, as we close the service, um, rather than people standing and responding in a worship song, I thought that would be very interesting. I just want us to take a moment. We're going to play some music. I just want us for a moment in this place as we close the service today to bow our heads and I just want to call the church to pray. Man, I don't know if you've seen what's happened in Asbury College and you know, oftentimes I'll just speak to it for a moment. You can often, sometimes depending on which side of the aisle we swing from, it's, we can look at that with a lot of skepticism rather than saying, man, if God's in it, time will tell. I'll tell you what, I, I, I'll never look down on the next generation being so inspired to see God move in powerful ways. You know what that starts with? 
It started with a group of people who refused to give up, give up on God and go before the Lord with repentance and prayer. And the Holy Spirit is moving in a powerful way in young people right now. And so I just want to say, man, there's no way that all this happens. I'm, there's no way I don't fail in leadership if it isn't for the, the grace of God. And so I just want to call you, not just for me, I just want to spend a few moments as the music plays, and then Pastor Alex will come. It's just for you to bow your heads. If you want to turn with your family, that's great. Would you just pray for me? I need it. Pray for the elders of this church. They need it. Pray for the other staff of this campus. They need it. Pray for Pastor Chris. He needs it. And may we respond today hearing about how we should respond to the leadership of the church by just going before God because God is the one that can do it all. Amen? So I'll pray and then you continue to pray. God, thanks for today. As we just spend a few moments praying, God, I want to lift up my brother, Pastor Chris Brooks. I want to lift up my other fellow campus pastors. I want to lift up my, my brothers in Christ that are just up the road here that are pastors of other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. And just ask, Lord, would you give them grace? Would you come alongside of them? Fellow pastors I know in this area that are, are overwhelmed and struggled, struggling and, and thinking about leaving ministry. God, would you meet them in that place? Help them to know that you love them more than anything else. God, we need you. Everyone in this room, I'm no different. Meet us in our failures. Guide and direct us. Give us the grace that we need for every day. Now, Lord, as we go before you, just praying over the, the leadership of our church, would you be in it, Holy Spirit, and move among us in Jesus' name.